Hi, welcome to Swordnet Radio. This is a short story titled Accumulating Debts and follows Stephen Baron of Carriver, who we last saw in the short story Boy. If you've got any feedback for us, any thoughts, any random facts, you know the drill. It's swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or get in touch on Twitter at swordnut. The light in the inn was surprisingly bright, as at least a dozen lamps dangled from the ceiling, bathing the room in a pleasant, yellowish light. Fires were set into two of the walls, the dancing flames making the room a little too hot for the late spring night. Round wooden tables with rope-backed chairs were scattered liberally around. Some were clearly new, but some were deeply tanned around the edges by the arms, spilled drinks and the food of a hundred years of good business. Most of the tables were occupied, and the bar was being ably propped up. The conversation in the inn had graduated to being hearty, and just a little louder than necessary. Stephen sat at the back, in the corner across from the bar, watching a little scene unfold as his beer got staler and staler. A man and a woman had come into the tap room about half an hour after Stephen had finished his meal, putting themselves close to the back door. They spoke in hushed tones, worried about something. The man appeared to be trying to reassure the woman, although Stephen could not hear what was said. The girl was younger than the man who looked to be in his late twenties. They were both dressed in clothes that were common to the city in outlying areas. The man in patched green woolen trousers tight at the ankle. A grey woolen shirt with worn, yellowing but serviceable woolen overtunic hanging to the knee, and sturdy boots. At his belt was a long knife that had the look of a woodsman's tool, which fit him with his weather-beaten features. He would occasionally rub absently at his close-cropped black hair as if he had had lice and was still in the habit of scratching. The girl was similarly dressed, appearing to be the same class as the man, but for the fact that Stephen couldn't think he could have described her if she was not in the room. She was so nondescript in her general appearance that later, Stephen thought it must have been intentional. Her skirt was of brown wool, but a closer inspection later on revealed it was divided into wide trousers that had two lines of small toggles running down the back that could be used to gather the trousers close to the leg. Her tunic was loose and of a lighter shade of brown than the divided skirt. Her hair was cut just above her shoulders, slightly longer than the prevalent style of the poor inhabitants of the city. They drank beer and ate a good meal while Stephen watched them. This was a good place for food, if you didn't want to pay too much. They had become more at ease after the meal, and Stephen's attention wandered around the room. Then four men came in off the street, and the boring evening that was shaping up disappeared into the ether. The men spotted the two who had come in earlier and immediately stiffened. As four pairs of unfriendly eyes fixed on them, the couple began to look extremely nervous. The group of men started over, thinking nasty thoughts, but bumping into a patron seemed to remind them that the room was too crowded for that sort of business. They found a table where they could see the couple and bullied the occupants away. They sat and began supping the drinks the recently departed patrons had left behind. Stephen was certain that most of the men were just thugs. A dwarf, two humans, and one unusually thick-shouldered elf, probably with dwarf blood in him. That one made an imposing sight. Dark skin, six foot three tall if he was an inch, and built like a sandstone shithouse. Sizing them up, Stephen thought they would rely on getting hold of a man so the others could lay into him, rather than squaring up for a fair fight. They would be all shoulders, standing too square to the opponent, expecting a head and body blows, which they could easily soak up. Amateurs. The leader looked a little more competent. He was a dwarf with characteristically wide hips and eyes. He would wait in the back for the opportunity for a sucker punch. The real difference was that, while his companions were thugs, he was a killer. If any of the heavies were carrying a weapon, it would be the dwarf. As the night wore on and people started to leave the inn, the men sent one of their number past the couple and out the back door. He shot a cruel smile at the girl as he passed, which she returned with an icy look, never flinching from the huge thug. It was that look which impressed Stephen. 
Her escape routes had been cut off by thugs who clearly meant her and her man no good, but if she was afraid, she wasn't showing. Stephen made a decision to help the young couple if he could, and he caught eyes with the young man. It wasn't as if he'd been scanning the room and had a chance to look at Stephen at the same time. He had definitely looked straight at him. A silent communication passed between them. The young man turned back to his girl before the thugs at the other table noticed. Stephen walked to the bar, settled his tab, and climbed the stairs to his room. Nate opened the door, entering the tap room of the inn slowly, scanning the room. A group of five men by the bar had been drinking for a few hours, and were at the stage where their elbows were seeking to occupy as much space around them as possible, and the beer had fuddled their hearing, so their voices were that much louder, causing them to drink faster to soothe dry throats. A middle-aged couple were eating in silence in the middle of the room, their eyes wandering and seldom meeting, the woman flitting to Nathan just long enough to see the girl behind him, before going to the young man in the corner. The largest group in the room was made up of four women and five men, looking like they'd just finished work and were about to indulge themselves, for tomorrow was a traditional day of rest guaranteed every man and woman by ancient charter. One of the men kept glancing at the prettiest girl in the group who was lavishing her attention upon the fellow with his arm around another girl. Nate thought it would be about a month before the first man would despair of winning the beauty and fall for the girl standing next to him, who was watching the sexual politics with a weary eye. The man on his own in the corner had just received a drink from the serving maid and was watching the room with a casual air of a man with nowhere to go and ample time to get there. There was a barely noticeable tension about this man, like he was waiting for something, but didn't know what, and he was sizing up everyone in the room, weighing them with his eyes. Nate doubted the man knew who was even doing it, but he had put himself in the best position in the room where he could see everything in the bar, including both doors, and where he had a reasonably clear line to each exit. He was not armed, and he did not have the typical look of a fighter, but Nate expected he did not need to be armed to be dangerous. The barman seemed at ease, so Nate relaxed a bit. If there was to be any trouble, the barman would have known about it before anyone else, except perhaps Nate himself. He continued walking to a vacant table, having barely slowed down entering the room. Ellen followed him into the room, looking wary. Will you stop that? said Nate. This place is safe. The Macca's protection racket only goes so far as Butcher's Lane. Ellen gave him a hard look as if to say, I don't need you to tell me about the underside of this city, before softening slightly, sitting down with a practiced poker face that had got her out of more scrapes than she could easily count. If he was honest, Nate wasn't actually too sure of what he just told her. The inn was not under the control of the criminal gang that controlled most of the southwest of the city, but neither was it under the control of a gang who could have helped for the right price. Did anyone follow us? he asked Ellen. Of course not, she replied, a little nettled. They had taken a long, circuitous route, designed by Ellen about a year ago, to catch out any would-be followers. Full of hidey holes and switchbacks, hidden escape routes just around a corner and the odd stash of equipment to deal with the really determined pursuer. She looked at her companion, who was not showing the slightest unease. She was determined not to let him get her irritated. She could be calmer than him. After all, she was the professional here. Sure, he'd been on the wrong side of the law occasionally, but it was she who lived with a constant pressure and uncertainty. Are we going to eat or what? she said. He gave a smile and called over the serving girl. They had finished their meal and were relaxing. Eventually, they would be paying for a room upstairs. Nate would sleep on the floor, of course, but a man and a woman hiring separate rooms for a single night would attract attention. They couldn't go to any of Ellen's rooms, as there were people who knew about all of them. Then the enforcers walked in. Hack was in front, and the psychotic dwarf was never brought in if the Mackham's boss just wanted to talk to someone. He was there for when talk wasn't an option anymore. The other three followed, swaggering through the door, all except the last who had to stop and slip through the door sideways to enter the room. This was Jamie, a born leg breaker. Ellen's heart sank. It was too late to run, 
they'd be chased down in seconds. They began to cross the room, but bumping into a patron seemed to remind them that there were a lot of witnesses around. The Macrams were not that powerful that they could get away with bold-faced murder. They chose a table where they could see the two, and evicted the patrons. Who have you upset now? asked Nate, more to his drink than to Ellen. She didn't answer. <sighs> They're not after you, you know, said Ellen, after a long pause. Nate shrugged. I think we're going to have some help later on, he said. Ellen shot him a questioning look. That fellow in the corner has been watching the show here for a good little while. I think he's deciding if he's going to be a hero. Nate had not looked directly at the man, or anyone in the taproom for that matter, all night. His ability to observe people and determine their thoughts with uncanny accuracy had long since ceased to amaze Ellen. If she asked, he could probably, no, definitely, tell her a little about the lives of everyone in here. It was not like he had the touch, but he looked at the world in a different way to everyone else. I'm for running now, she said in hushed tones. I have a hide just less than a furlong from here, by the town wall. His face was blank. Look, they're going to kill us when this place gets empty enough that they can kill or intimidate the witnesses left behind. You know that. Either certainly die here, or probably die on the run outside. I feel like probable death over certain death any day. She looked at him, waiting for a response. His head was down, looking at his drink, but he glanced up at the enforcers in the gradually emptying taproom. I don't think we have the choice anymore, he muttered, looking her in the eye. Get ready. Jamie walked towards them, drawing every eye. As he approached, Ellen assumed her game face. They would never see fear in her eyes, even at the end. She was no fighter, but she could still take one of the fuckers out with her. She looked right at Jamie as he passed with a grin on his face. The room was still busy, but perhaps they were confident of being able to force silence from those here. Jamie kept on walking and left through the back door, having to almost bend double. Not daring to let down her composure in case she started shaking, Ellen looked to Nate, who was leaning back in his chair with a drink in his hand. How can you be so bloody relaxed? She said, her voice sounding carbon that she felt. All we can do now is wait for them to jump us. Nate put down his mug and leaned forward on his elbows. Where exactly is this hide of yours? He asked, his face still infuriatingly blank. There was a set to his eyes, however, that she recognised as concentration. She told him, Can we get from there to your safe house without being seen? The safe house will be being watched, she replied. Not that one. Ellen's jaw dropped for a second. You couldn't know about the other place. No one knew about that one. It was the last place she had kept secret. In case of a time like this, true, but it was still hard to drop secrets. It hadn't even occurred to her to tell him about it. No, she said. We'll be seen no matter how we get there, and it's not the sort of place you can sneak up on. Nathan thought about this. You need to get out of the city, he said, still staring at his drink. I know that, said Ellen. But there is the tiny matter of us getting killed in the next hour or so to get over first. And if we survive somehow, we'll be caught before we get a dwarf's reach past the door. Ellen stopped before agitation got the better of her. Nate turned to her, his face confident but slightly distracted somehow. The fellow in the corner has decided to be a hero. <laughs> This story is written by Paul Bennett and Robert Sanderson and is copyright 2015. The song was Shards of Glass by Louis Brabus and the Bedlam Six. 
If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email to swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or get in touch on Twitter at swordnut. We'll hear more about Stephen, Nate, and Ellen in the short story, Waiting. Thanks for listening.